This evening we are looking at session number four in our series of studies on the life of Moses. Remember, we have been looking at how when God met with uh, Moses in the burning bush, he had a lot of questions. He had a lot of excuses as well. Okay? And then finally, when the Lord says, nothing doing, uh, you are going to go and I'm going to send Mo uh, Aaron, your brother, with you. Moses decides, okay, I will respond to the call of God in my life. And this evening, our passage is from Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 to 31. Verse 18 starts off by saying, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. To see if any of them are still alive. So now he has submitted himself. He is ready to go. but. There are still some more issues that God has to deal with him. There are still some more areas that God has to teach him before he can get down to Egypt and bring the people out of the land of Egypt. And this is something that we must also know in our own lives. The first step is to say yes to God. But that's not the final step. The Lord continues to teach us so many lessons down the road so that we become usable, teachable in ways that you know, we would not understand it at that time. But we know that that is going to be of use you know, for the Lord to use us for his glory even in the future. So when you're looking at this passage you know, this evening, I want you to you know, put yourself uh, in this situation in terms of you have now decided to follow after Jesus. You have said yes to God. You had your issues, you had your excuses, but now you have decided, yes, I want to follow God. I'm giving myself to God 100%. Now, when you say yes, that's the starting point of discipleship. Conversion has taken place, transformation has taken place, but now it's the starting point of discipleship. And you have to learn now, as you go along, God continues to teach different, different lessons. And there are six lessons in this passage that Moses had to learn when he answered God's call. And my prayer is, as we look at these lessons, we would also find out whether we have learned those lessons and whether we have also benefited from it. Lesson number one, serving God often means cutting family ties and moving to a new location. Serving God often means cutting family ties and moving to a new location. Remember, 40 years he has spent here in the wilderness, you know, in his father-in-law's house, Jethro. You know, he's also called as Ruel in the scriptures. So he spent these 40 years. You know, he's got married to his uh, daughter. He has had children. This has been his life for the last 40 years. Now God has told him, now, I want you to leave your place and I want you to go to Egypt and get my people back. Remember when God called uh, Abraham, he asked him to leave his family and go to the place that he would show him. What happened to Abraham? He took his nephew, he took his father with him, until one by one, you know, his father died, 
Then after that, you find that his nephew also parted ways. Then the Bible tells us that God came and spoke to Moses again and told him the same call that he had told him earlier. In other words, the lesson that we are learning from this uh, uh, important truth is that God must come first in our lives. God must come first in our lives. That's what God is asking us. Anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. It doesn't mean that we don't respect our parents, but obedience to God has to be greater. And that's what we learn over here. Remember, he is now 80 years of age. Okay, At 80 years of age, he goes and asks his father-in-law for permission to leave Midian and go to Egypt. Now, he's not a young guy. He's not a teenager that he has to go and ask his parents' permission. And, uh, uh, but here, if you notice, at 80 years of age, M Moses has the humility to speak to his in-laws, to speak to his in-laws, because this was the right thing for him to do. Yes, he had to leave them behind, but he also needed to be careful that he is not rude or insensitive to them. He doesn't say, look, your God has told me, so I don't know what's going to happen to you. I'm leaving. No, no. He respected them and he spoke to them in a nice manner. Okay. Only thing that he mentions over here is that he wants to go and see his own people. He does not tell them anything about you know, God meeting him in the burning bush. He doesn't speak to them anything about God telling him to go and bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. Nothing of that he mentions. Maybe he's still hesitant. Yes, God has called him. He has taken that first step. But he's not really sure. Should he tell everybody around what God has told him and the commitment that he has made to God? Sometimes when we take that first step also, there's a lot of hesitancy, isn't it? You know, we don't want to tell everybody. We don't want to tell everyone. This is what God has told to me. And this is what I have responded. We'll try to keep some things back till things are certain. Or think still <laughs> when it is all confirmed as it were, that it has actually happened. There seems to be a little bit of unbelief in the midst of the belief that God has really called him. <laughs> so, if you notice, he only speaks about my people. He only speaks about, I want to know, oh, you know what has uh, happened to them. Are they still surviving? Because remember, 40 years ago, life was tough for them. Now, 40 years has gone by, and his heart is still bleeding for them. When he was in Egypt, he recognized that they were his people. Now, when he is in, among the Midianites, he still recognizes that they are his people. In other words, in his inner being, in his heart of hearts, he has not changed even though the external environment has changed. In his heart of hearts, he recognizes definitely that he is still a thoroughbred Jew. Whether he was in Egypt, whether he had married a Midianite and a woman and he was in, living in the Midianites in an area, he still knew in his heart of hearts that there was definitely God Yahweh whom he was worshipping. Truth statement number one, when God calls us to obey, it is important that we end our present responsibilities with integrity, with integrity. Okay? 
In other words, you just don't walk out of a place, okay? You just don't walk out of the house, you don't just walk out of your studies, you don't just walk out of your uh, job and say, God called me. No, no. We have to make sure that the delinking is done very, very delicately because, yes, God has called you, but that due respect has to be given to those individuals you know, uh, to whom you are accountable to, okay? which is very, very important. Application question number one here is, do you love the Lord more than your family? Do you love the Lord more than your family? Maybe the reason why he was hesitant to tell his uh, in-laws would have also been that if he told them that they were, he was going to Egypt, you know, they would have been upset about it. They would have been worried about the lives of his daughter and his you know, their grandchildren. Maybe they would have had their own fears. So he is hesitant to tell them. But he definitely knows that he has to surmount that, overcome that, you know, overcome any fears that they would have or he would have. So in other words, this is why the Lord says in verse uh, uh, 20, verse 19, verse 19, he says, Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses, his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. Maybe he was hesitant because he had these fears. How does God deal with that? Once he has taken the step, God tells Moses this situation. He says, don't worry. Don't have any fears about you or your family. Because that Pharaoh is no longer there who was there 40 years ago. He's not going to gun you down and kill you. He's gone. He's dead and gone. There's another guy who is coming over there. So don't worry about it. And those fears that he had, God stills it. And then Moses decides, okay, I'm going to go now with my family. Now, this is how God responds. We take the first step. We are still hesitant. Maybe there's a little bit of uncertainty about the future. But we have taken that first step. And then God begins to address our fears. And he gives those words of encouragement to us. Verse 20 also tells us that Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. The staff of God in his hand. What is the shepherd's staff now becomes the staff of God. Now, he's not going to look after sheep in, Israel, in Egypt, but now this staff has taken on a great significance. It has now become the staff of God. Remember, we asked ourselves this question, what is in our hands? You know? What is in our hand? That which is you signifies you. The Lord says, okay, hand it over to me. I will change that into something that I can use. So now Moses' fears are removed when God says, don't worry about who is there. He is not going to kill you. He also says, take the staff with you. Now the staff is no longer just a, norm, a normal, ordinary staff. It is now the staff of God. And that again gives him the strength to say, okay, this is an assurance that God is with me. That's the first important lesson that we must learn. Do you really love the Lord more than your family? Or do you make excuses for loving God and serving God by putting your family ahead of you, ahead of your relationship with God? 
it definitely has to be relationship with God first, then the family. Secondly, serving God usually means encountering difficulties and resistance to what you are called to do, to what you are called to do. If you notice in verse 21, he says, okay, you have taken your staff, the staff of God in your hand. Then the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So what the Lord is saying is, yes, okay, that Pharaoh is dead now. But there's another Pharaoh, but he's not going to allow you to come and take the people out very, very easily. Remember, serving the Lord puts you into battle with the enemy. And battles are often difficult and they also often result in casualties. When we say yes to follow after God, remember there is somebody who doesn't like that. That's Satan. He said, you know, we are doing our own thing and uh, uh, living our own life. Then Satan is happy because we now belong to him. We are continuing to do as his children, as it were. But once we say no to Satan and yes to God, then definitely Satan is unhappy. There's going to be battles. So this is the, the second thing that God is telling him, the lesson that we need to learn. Never think that when we say yes to God, life will become easy. Life will become even more battle-weary because now Satan is on the opposition side. But God is also telling him that he is going to be there with you. Truth statement number two, serving the Lord puts you into battle with the enemy and battles are often difficult and often end in casualties. So don't be afraid. Don't say, oh, if I'm going to have battles, what's the point of saying yes? No, the Bible says the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. God assures us that no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. The Lord assures us that he's the one who will fight for us. So don't be scared about Satan, but rather stand firm in the victory that God has given to you. And you will see that Satan is not going to be your enemy in that sense, but he will be able to find victory over him because he is definitely a defeated foe. Application question number two. Have you faced any opposition in your life because of your obedience? Think for a moment. When you said yes to Jesus, when you said, yes, I'm going to follow after him, what is the type of opposition did you face? Did your friends support you? Were your friends upset? Your parents or your close relatives were not too happy because he said yes to follow after Jesus. Think for a moment, you know, and opposition will come. If there's no opposition, something is definitely wrong because if you're standing for the truth, then the people who don't stand for the truth are definitely going to be upset with you. So that's the second lesson that we must learn. Be uh, ready for the opposition. Be ready for difficulties. Don't think that Christian living is going to be a bed of roses. Third lesson, serving God often requires delivering a message 
that people don't want to hear. People don't want to hear. In uh, uh, verse 22, this is what the Lord says. This is uh, what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. What a message. What a message to give, isn't it? But look at the relationship that God mentions. He says, Israel is my firstborn son. So my priority is for him. But you have not allowed my son to go. As a result, what am I going to do? I'm going to kill your firstborn son. I'm going to kill your firstborn son. Now, proud people don't want to hear this type of a message, isn't it? When you go and share with them to say, look here, if you don't come to Jesus, if you don't follow after Jesus, if you don't accept him as your Savior and Lord, the only alternative is that you're going to go to hell rather than heaven. Now, people don't like that message, you know. And that's the message that God has given to us, just as much as the message that was given to Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, hey, look here, because you have not uh, allowed my son to go, your son will die. Not an easy message to preach, but that's a message that God has given to us. Remember, not only is your life not going to be easy, but you have so much of excitement to know that, hey, I know Jesus as my Savior. I want him, my friend also, to respond to the message of Jesus. Maybe with a lot of excitement, you may go and share that message. But that message may not be very pleasing to your friend. He may look down on you. He may ridicule you. And he may say, you're too narrow-minded. You're too intolerant. He may call you different, different names. You know? This is what will happen. Because people don't want to hear a message which primarily says that salvation is a free gift that God has given to us because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Man primarily wants to think that he can do something to achieve salvation. And that's what all the religions teach, isn't it? You do this, you do this, you do this, then you can reach up to God. But Christianity says, no, you don't have to do anything, nothing that you can do can merit your salvation because Jesus has already done that which is necessary. He paid for our salvation by his own precious life on the cross. So a message like that for a proud man is not easy to accept. Man says, no, no, I have to do something. How can it be that I don't have to do something? And as a result, he's upset with that free gift of uh, salvation message that we would give to them. <laughs> okay. Now, God also says here that you know, this will happen because you know, he is going to harden his heart. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. He will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, it may be a, a question that you have had in your mind for some time. Why blame Pharaoh when God has already said that I will harden his heart? And that's the same message or the same question that people will have. Hey, if this guy is not going to be saved, you know, what's the point of going and sharing the message with him? No, no, it's not a question of this guy is not going to be saved. It's a question of no person being pre-programmed for heaven or for hell. Our responsibility is to go and share. And what God was telling Pharaoh, you know, Moses is, yes, 
you go and share, but I'm telling you beforehand that this is what Pharaoh will do because he's the one who knows everything. Just because he knew everything, that in no way made Pharaoh for me. I couldn't do anything about it. I really wanted to send the people of Israel you know, so very readily. But God said, no, 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 I have hardened your heart. No, it was not like that. It was more of Pharaoh hardened his heart and then God hardened his heart further. God knows our heart, isn't it? God knows our heart. But just because God knows our heart, it doesn't mean that we have been pre-programmed. Some people will go to heaven and some people will go to hell. That is not true. And that is the thought that some individuals have, isn't it? You know, Some individuals also have that thought. You mean to say that God will send so many people to hell? No, God is not sending anybody to hell. Primarily, it is because they decide to say no to the message of salvation. So automatically, they are sending themselves to hell. This is where we come to truth statement number three. God sends his servants on seemingly impossible tasks in which he promises them meager results. Okay. Now, in our excitement to share the gospel, we may think, hey, I found it. You, know? you can also find it too. And with that excitement, we go and share with them. But they throw cold water on our excitement. You know? And we may wonder, why is this message not so exciting to them? Because you know, that's how people are. Not everybody is going to respond to the gospel. Even though it is God's desire that all should be saved, it is not God's desire that any should perish. God has created hell for Satan and his angels, not for human beings. But if man says, look here, I want to go there, God has given man his free will. God says, okay, you go ahead. So sometimes the task of evangelism, the task of sharing the gospel, you know, you may be sharing it and you may find no results. Nobody seems to respond to your message. But don't worry, you need to do that which God has called you to do. This is where application question number three comes into play. Have you been set free to serve God in your life? Sometimes people are willing to serve God only when they find results. Only when they find results. So they only want numbers. So sometimes they even change the message just so that they will get the numbers and they feel, oh, so many people came to know God. No, no. You must be faithful ministers, faithful servants of the message that God has given to us. The message that was given to Moses was to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He didn't compromise on that message. Whether Pharaoh let them go or not go, you know, he says, this is a message that God has given to me to tell you. And that's the message that God has given to us as well. To share with this needy world that there's a God who loves them, there's a God who cares for them, that there's a God who died on the cross for them. Not all people are going to accept that message, but be free to serve the Lord unconditionally in your life, even if you find nobody responding to that, because God in new, due time will water the seeds that have been sown. Maybe you have seed the, sowed the seeds, somebody else will, God will use to water it. God will use somebody else to reap the harvest. Be faithful in sowing the seeds in the lives of your friends. Number four, fourth lesson, to serve effectively, be obedient to his commandments. Be obedient to his commandments. 
Now remember earlier Moses had a question, I cannot speak, you know, I cannot speak, okay. So God's anger was kindled over there, you know, when he made all those excuses, you know. So when he had a speech impediment excuse, you know, God said, okay, I will send Aaron along with you. But now it appears to you know, that he has an obedience impediment issue. What is the issue over here? He has not circumcised his son. Now, this was God's specific you know, instructions that circumcision must take place. Okay? That was symbolic of you know, their covenant relationship with God. But somehow, when the child was born, it was not in Jewish territory. It was in the Midian, among the Midianites. You know, not Jewish background, so maybe Moses said, okay, you know, he did not circumcise. Or maybe Zipporah, his wife, would have interjected and said, hey, look here, why should we do this? We are not Jews. Whatever the reason was, whether it was Zipporah's you know, insistence or Moses' insistence, you know, it is very, very clear that this was not done. So what happened over there? If you notice in verse 24, it says, At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Okay, so the Lord let him alone. Zipporah knew what was that which was the cause of disobedience. And she immediately rectified it. She immediately rectified it. Now, there are so many implications in that, but we would not go into all the details. But the principle that we are drawing from this is, if we are going to serve God effectively, there must be total obedience in our lives. There must be total obedience in our lives. We cannot say, I'm walking with God and continue to live in sin. We cannot say, yes, I'm following after God, but in these, these areas, it's okay for me to be disobedient. God is willing to forgive our sin if we come up to him and ask him for forgiveness. And as soon as Zipporah recognized this was the cause, she knew it. She knew it. She immediately did that particular thing that was required. And that was the turning point, if you were to say. Truth statement number four, God calls us to a life of holiness. We have started the walk. God is teaching us different lessons. Important lesson is, if God has to use us, we have to be clean, pure vessels for God to use. There can be no dirt in our lives. There has to be a life of holiness. If water comes through a pipe and the pipe is full of garbage, then there would not be any free flow, isn't it? Sometimes when you open the sink tap, you'll find there would not be any pressure. And then when you open the valve and clean up that uh, tap, you'll find that there'll be a full force. What was the reason? Dirt had blocked that force. And that's what happens in our lives. Sometimes we say, yes, we are following after God, but, you know, God is not using me. I don't see any results. What's happening? It could be very well because of disobedience that has crept in somewhere along the line. If you want God to use you, then you and I have to live a life of holiness. Application question number four. 
Are you serious about sin in your life? Or do you think of it just as a weakness? How do you define sin? Sometimes people talk about sin as just a mistake or a weakness. No, no. Sin is an act against a holy God. Remember when we are doing Joseph, Joseph recognized it and said, how can I do this against God? So sin is not just a simple thing that we can take casually. If God has to use us, we must live lives of holiness and have the same serious attitude towards sin that God himself has. Fifth lesson that we are learning this evening is that to serve God effectively, work with people who are willing to follow God's ways. Work with people who are willing to follow God's way. Remember, for 40 years, Moses and Aaron have not seen each other. You know? But God has orchestrated the event. And as soon as, as soon as obedience comes in, in the life of Zipporah and Moses, in verse 27, we find, Then uh, the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God, and he kissed him. Then Moses told everything, told Aaron everything that the Lord had sent him to say, and also about the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. God prepared Moses. He has been teaching him these lessons. Now, simultaneously, God is also preparing Aaron and saying, Aaron, I want you to go to the desert, meet up with uh, Moses, and he will tell you what has to happen. Now, nothing has changed in the situation you know, in Israel. There were still slaves in Egypt. There was definitely going to be a difficult road ahead of them. But now, God was going to work in and through the lives of Moses and Aaron as a team, as a team, and changes were going to take place. So, important lesson over here, truth statement number five. Don't waste your time and energy with worry. Don't waste your time and energy with worry. Now, Moses had questions. What if, what if, what if? But if you notice, as soon as Moses and Aaron went and spoke the message to them, you find when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and seeing their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. They bowed down and worshipped. When God put them together, Moses and Aaron, had earlier, God addressed. The questions that he had earlier, God has given Moses, uh, Aaron, as the spokesperson. Now, when he goes and speaks to them, earlier, he spoke to them, and they said, who made you a prince? Who made you in charge over here? They retorted back. But now, when he goes, 40 years later, there's a welcome, there's a response. Why? Not because Moses had changed, but because God was now operating in the life of Moses. Earlier, it was Moses operating on his own strength, but now it was God who was operating in the life of Moses. So don't waste your time and energy worrying about if I do this, what will happen? I've taken this step, what will happen? No. Once you have taken the step in obedience, God is the one who is going to orchestrate the events. He brought Aaron in. He also gave them a favorable response when they met up with Pharaoh, uh, when they met up with the children of Israel and told them, this is what God has asked 
them to do. Application question number five. What do you worry about your future? About your future. Now, you have taken that step of saying yes to God. What is your questions about the future? Sometimes we have so much of worry. What if this will happen? Will this happen at all? You know, so many questions you have about the future, especially in today's tough times. And as a result, those worries can eat us up. But remember, if you are going to serve God effectively, trust in God that God will provide the right people at the right time with the right resources to accomplish that which God wants to accomplish through you. By worrying, you are not going to change anything. By worrying, you are not going to accomplish anything. But by worrying, you would only reduce your lifespan. By worrying, you would only have more ulcers in your stomach. Don't worry. Trust God. Trust God for your future. Because the plans that God has for you, for your future, is far greater and bigger than you could ever, ever imagine. Think for a moment of Moses, when he was a shepherd for 40 years, would he have ever dreamt that this was a day that was going to happen in his life? That he would go back to his people and the people would respond favorably? Not at all. Never in his wildest dream would have imagined. He would have thought it's all over. But when he turned around, when he looked at the burning bush, when he responded to God in obedience, God turned his life around. So your life and mine, when we say yes to God, God assures us that he has gone before us into the future. The future is unknown to us, but it is known to God. And God is the one who is able to use us for his kingdom in the future. So don't worry about the future. Trust him for your future. Finally, sixth lesson that we can learn is when we serve God effectively, everything falls together as God said it would. Everything fell together as God said it would happen. Despite Moses' concern, the people received him as their leader and believed that what he told them about his encounter with God was true. They don't go and meet directly Pharaoh. They first go and meet with the people and say, guys, this is what it is. God has met with us. What would have given the strength to Moses? Jethro about an encounter with God. But now he goes and tells these millions of people, Israelites in Egypt, to say God has met with us and has given us a mission. And the people believed. How did they believe? Not because they were good orators, because God had worked in their lives. God had worked in their lives. Right timing is so very important, isn't it? Sometimes you know, we think of you know, giving God a helping hand and we land our lives in a mess. Don't give God a helping hand. Be responsive to God. Every step that he asks you to take, take that step at a time. And then he will open up the right doors at the right time and everything will all fit together as a jigsaw puzzle. The scripture tells us over here, that the Israelites bowed down and worshipped. Bowed down and worshipped. When did they worship? Not after they were led out of Egypt. Remember, they are still in Egypt. They are still in Egypt. They are still in Egypt. But they still worshipped. Because in their heart of hearts, God had prepared them to know that the same God who had spoken to Moses is the same God who is going to 
deliver them. And that's what genuine worship is all about. Worship is not waiting for things to all fit into place and then say, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. No, when things are very bad, when things don't seem to have any options left, to know that God is still in control and to worship him, that is what genuine worship is all about. Is that your type of worship this evening? Do you wait for God to give you all the answers that you have been asking him for, to give you all the blessings that you have been asking him for? And once the blessings come, you say, then God, you are good, I worship you. No, no, that's not real worship. Real worship is when in the darkest of places you are in, the darkest of situations you are in, you are still affirming, God, you are there. You have heard my prayer and I worship you. That is what genuine worship is all about. This is where we come to truth statement number six. Confidence in the promises of God is never misplaced. Is never misplaced. Remember, Moses now has lost confidence in himself. He says, who am I? Can I do it? Now his confidence is not in himself, but is in the God who has promised him. And with that confidence, he goes and meets up with the Israelites. And when he goes in that confidence, you find that you know, he is not a loser. It is not a misplaced confidence. The people respond. Where is your confidence? Is your confidence on past experiences? Is your confidence in, a, in yourself to say, oh, I have made it. I know all this. Or is your confidence in the God who has called you? The scripture says, he who has called you is going to complete the work that he has started in your life. Have confidence in the God who has started the work. Once he has started the work, he's not going to leave you halfway. He's going to finish the task for which you have been created. Application question number six. Can you worship God even though you have not yet seen the answer to your prayers? And that is what genuine worship is all about, isn't it? Genuine worship is not waiting to see the answer and then say, thank you, Lord. But even before you see the answer, in the midst of whatever you're going through, to worship God and say, thank you. In closing, let me ask you a couple of questions. Have you made that commitment to trust in Christ as Savior and serve him however he would lead you? Have you made that commitment in your life? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But you can definitely serve him effectively as you depend on his presence and strength. Ready for any difficulty as you obey him, even when things are difficult. The one who will enable you. Would you be like Moses this evening? That's a call before us. Moses responded to God. For him ahead, but he had the confidence in God. Tough times ahead for each one of us. We don't know what the future holds. But can we have that confidence in the promises of God that he will never fail us? He will never leave us. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.